Well, thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. We are so appreciative of the things that we hear from you. Go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app to find out what else is going on. talk about the book of Luke today, but Luke 1, interesting start here. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. An interesting, interesting intro from a very significant uh, New Testament writer here, uh, and who has a significantly interesting origin as well. Yeah, and the only author that writes more in the New Testament than Luke is Paul, but they're really close to each other in word count with how much material is created, which is kind of crazy to think about. So yeah, Luke writes Luke, and he writes the book of Acts, and you know what's interesting about this, and you just read those verses, is this is a unique audience. So whereas we've talked about the audience in each of these Gospels, right, Matthew was more uh, Jewish in mindset, Mark was clearly pointed toward the Romans or toward the Gentiles, we, we know that Luke is also written toward the Gentiles, but Luke's audience is one individual, this Theophilus character, whoever this is. And there's no other, you know, there's no other gospel like it. There's very few books in the Bible that are like it at all. Think about this. An individual who's a Gentile, he's not a Jew. His name is Theophilus, which name means lover of God. So either he, you know, took this name on at one point or he was named this by a faithful parent of some sort or something. This person has gathered enough money in their their life to be able to ask a guy like Luke to write a faithful account of what has happened so far. So think about it as a patron, you know, as in like middle, medieval times or whatever, someone would pull an artist aside and say, I want to pay you this much money to paint the Sistine Chapel or whatever. And really that's what's happening. You've got an individual who's got a certain skill set, Luke, who's being paid by Theophilus to set this all together. And in those first four verses, which again are super unique, He's saying, yeah, I did the job. I went and met with a bunch of eyewitnesses. I've talked to a bunch of other people, and I've built this orderly account. And now we read along with Theophilus the story of Jesus. And so the first part of this two-part you know, structure here is Jesus, and then the second part is, is you know, Acts, and that's directed toward the church. But we'll get to that in just a little bit. But I think it's a pretty cool thought, right? Oh, for sure. And, and you've got what appears to be a non-Jewish author which might be the only one. I mean, we, there's some books we just don't know for sure. Right. That in itself is is unique, and and I love the whole just the the, the wording there. Just how he uh, is very articulate, and even how he's describing what he's about to do for Theophilus is is very cool. Yeah, it's neat. So, Chris, you know, 
some of these gospels or a couple of these gospels are a little bit harder to to nail down a key verse and uh Luke makes it a little easier for us, doesn't he? Luke is super easy to nail down a key verse, and let me read it to you. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I don't think you can wrap the gospel up any better in one verse uh, than that right there. And on top of that, he's using terms like Son of Man and then seeking and saving right after he's just a few stories before told the story of the parable of the prodigal son and the lost coin and the, the, the 99 and the one. Uh, so it's really neat. It, it kind of wraps up the whole gospel. It, and, it, and this is in the middle of a story that's pretty special to both of us. But again, we'll get to that in a little bit. So Luke 19.10 is the, the key verse for it. And like I said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But if you remember, we, when we did our Luke series, we spent a fair amount of time just coming back to that verse over and over again. Yeah, it really helps you, remind you of what, what he was really aiming to, to communicate we have a, a little difference in genealogy here in this one. Um, and, and also the emphasis here in the early part of Luke on on the the birth narrative. Right. And really, I, that's where we get such a beautiful account and, and those things that we so often read at, at Christmas time that are beautiful, as well as Mary's song of praise uh, called the Magnificat. Uh, beautiful beautiful section. I spent a fair amount of time in seminary uh, studying Luke in a couple of classes that we did. And I, I, I came into it not knowing as much about Luke as I should have. And then I read through the book a few times and I, it dawned on me with how much Mary materials in the beginning. And he says that I met with a bunch of eyewitnesses. Yeah. I began to think he had, he has Mary as one of his Mary's witnesses. One of the witnesses. She's gotta be. And then yeah, it was how else a, would you get the Magnificat from that? Totally, and, you know. And then it was amazing to me to read a bunch of commentaries and find out that they all felt the same way. And then I realized I'm I'm a genius, like they are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But there were these moments where I was like, you "Oh, heard sweet, it, folks, this is yeah. what he thinks of himself." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it was a moment where I thought, "Man, okay, I'm not like totally crazy on this. I, I I'm able to sort of see some things, and you know, school that I've paid for has has taught me well. But I I was really in, impressed by that. And I know you and I've had that conversation a number of times of when we walked through Luke as a church and we got to preach it for a whole year, we a couple of times said, I wonder if this was a, a direct eyewitness account, you know, yeah. Zacchaeus is unique. The amount of ma- Mary material is unique in Luke. And so you start to go, are these stories unique because he sat with these individuals and they told him the story and he just said, that's too good. I have to make sure that that gets in there. Yeah. Cause it's, it's unique in that way. And, uh, just for the record, Chris, you actually might be a genius, but we're not going to let you know that. Okay, okay appreciate we, we it. Yeah. We wouldn't anybody. want it to go to your head. Yeah, right well, now. don't tell anybody. We'll leave, we'll leave it off the podcast. Uh, so, some have come up with a, a number of saying 45 references to women. I guess it's how you count them. But you, you, along with that birth account, you've got all the, the story about Elizabeth you know, yep. and with John the Baptist and Zechariah, which is wonderful. I, I love that as well. Um. He, he makes a point in chapter 8 of, of pointing out the women who are financially sure. supporting the ministry. Again, um, a cool detail to note, and and you just see that, okay, was that women that were telling about that as well? And um, even the way the women stayed near Christ through mm-hmm. the trials, if you want to call them that, mm-hmm. and, and the crucifixion, 
and even in t- chapter 24, you know, his first appearances to, to the women here. So yeah, it, it's kind of cool. All those um, references. Oh, again, there's many of them, but just how uh, Luke is making a point to, to make sure they're part of that. Um, it's a cool, cool heart of his kind of comes through, I think in that. Absolutely. And, and it points to the two part structure of Luke and Acts, right? If, if we look at Luke as, this is the ministry of Jesus. This is what he did. This is what he did for us. This is why it matters. Luke is set up that way. So the gospel of Luke continually brings us back to that. And we have some major themes that come out of that. It's heavy on prayer. It's heavy on the Holy Spirit. It's even heavy on women compared to the other gospels, which is unique. But then when you turn the page to Acts, and if you think about the two as sort of mirroring one another, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked about this when we preached through Luke and Acts, but Jesus in the beginning of Luke is, is doing ministry. And then really the tail end of Luke is him going to Jerusalem to ultimately die for us and to save us from our sin. Acts is similar. We've got this shadowy character named Saul who all of a sudden comes onto the scene. And the most of the end of Acts is, is Saul going to Jerusalem to go to trial and then ultimately attempting to get to Rome. And so there's this, this like correlation here of, there's a similarity in their two lives, a similarity in their two ministries. And what's significant about both those things, like I said, there's a, there's a strong emphasis on Jesus's prayer life and his spirit ledness in Luke. I know I made that word up and there's a ledness, strong, works. yeah, there's a strong emphasis in prayer and, and being spirit led in the book of Acts, but it's the church. So if you think about it, Jesus is, is showing us how to do yeah. something in, in Luke. And then Acts shows us how the church believed in Jesus so much that they trusted that his way was the best way. And so they do that. Uh, then you've also got Luke showing us a bunch of women that are involved in the ministry. And then Acts is full of some really unique major women in the early church movement, whether we're talking about Priscilla or, uh, you know, Lydia. Um, yeah. Some of these individuals that you're like, whoa, they're actually hosting a church in their house or they're helping start this movement in this city and Paul's seeking them out. So you start to notice that th- yeah. there's nobody that's invisible in this early church thing. And we should probably sit on that and kind of process that and go, hmm, how, do, how are we matching that and how aren't we matching that? Yeah, and even add to that nobody invisible thing, there's, there's certainly an emphasis on Jesus' uh, ministry to those who are marginalized. Yeah. You know, even just in his parable of the Good Samaritan, he's making a pretty intense point there. And uh, the healing of the 10 lepers, and it's the one comes back, and it's, but hey, that's a Samaritan, by the way. Yeah. And then... Uh, you just have that kind of heartbeat through there. It's a little interesting thing I I was reading about even just a few minutes ago was talking about how many references there are to food and to meals and yeah. how even Jesus used them. And uh, 13 of those meals out of 19 are, were exclusively recorded in Luke, which is fascinating. He liked food. I, I yeah, <laughs> and we're totally good with that. We, we're down with eating food with people and talking Dep- with them about stuff. Depending how you count, there's 16 parables that are unique right. in this one as well. And obviously a couple that I, you know, even just mentioning the Good Samaritan, obviously a very significant one there as well. Well, in each of those parables, they they sort of ramp up in value in certain parts. And some of those parables are so unique to Luke that they're the ones that theologians argue about. Like, what does this mean? You know, I'm thinking of a Zacchaeus, for example, mm-hmm. or not Zacchaeus, but uh, um which Lazarus, Lazarus and the, yep. and the, the servant, you've got this, these individuals, uh, sorry, the poor man, Lazarus, and then this rich man in, was that Luke 18? Yeah, 16. 16. Yep. Yeah. I totally pre- prepped for that part. Obviously this is off the top <laughs> of my head right here. Uh, but Luke 16, I mean that, that parable 
I know I've had to write two papers on it. Just is it a parable or is it not a parable? Is it real? It's the yeah. only parable that Jesus uses a, an actual name. Yeah. The name Lazarus. Then people ask, is this the Lazarus that we know about in another part of the Bible or is this right. a totally different individual? Uh, it's a fairly common name at the time. But then you start to go, wait, if this is not a parable, then this means this stuff really happens. And then what do we do with that information? And people kind of freak out about it a little bit. Yeah, tough one to work through for sure. But yeah. what a what a dynamic one too, because that that's part of the reason why people are talking about going. Whoa, this is intense. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you got a favorite story in this gospel, Chris? I mean, I I love Luke, the one that I come back to all the time. And and when I say that, every time I start reading Luke again, I don't start at Luke one. I go to Luke fifteen and I read it three or four times. And then I go back and start the gospel from, from the beginning. And so Luke 15 starts off with just this really, you know, auspicious verse. The tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus. <laughs> I love that. And then verse two, the Pharisees are starting to get freaked out a little bit yep, about grumbling. all these sinners hanging out with Jesus. This man receives and eats yep. with them. So Jesus' response to them is, you know, if one of you lost a sheep, would you not go find it? And if one of you lost a coin, would you not find it? And if one of you was a prodigal, would you not want to celebrate them coming home? But the prodigal story is different than the other two because the prodigal also has this older son who's being kind of snarly about the fact that the younger one comes home. Which totally goes back to verse 1. And if you're sitting on verse 1 going, oh boy, uh, he just, you know, he, for lack of a better term, he just fired a shot at the Pharisees <laughs> and they're freaking out a little bit. Uh, so then you start to go, man, Jesus is a little bit subversive. He's a bit uh, unique. The way that he uses his words to sort of paint a picture and then also to strike at your heart is a thing that only God can do in the way that he, right? I mean, I think about other passages where the word of God strikes through sinew and muscle and, and into our heart itself. So what about you? I know you've got a few good ones that you love in this, this book. It's always hard to choose from. Uh, you know, honestly, the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, you know, yeah. Um, and, and seeing beyond just the, you know, this is one of those stories where the, the simple way it was taught in Sunday school or whatever really just holds on to the truth. Even, yeah. you know, it, it's that simple. Jesus cares for those who others wouldn't. And Jesus will will spend time with those that others wouldn't. Yeah. And uh, Jesus notices you. And how much Jesus is responsive to not to use the word again, responsive faith of people, you know, and totally for Zacchaeus to respond in such a, a dynamic way. Um, again, part of what I, in, I love with narrative scripture is just trying to imagine being there on the scene and, you know, trying to imagine the, the surprise yeah. of Zacchaeus's face. Hey, uh, I'm going to your house. <laughs> like, is he looking behind him and there's nothing but birds and leaves? You know, he's got to be pointing to me. I, I'm the only one up here, you know, yeah. <clears throat> but what a, what a great story. But also the, yeah, the Luke 24 road to Emmaus. What a, what a fantastic, fantastic section of scripture. Yeah. You know, these, you know, again, I'm filled with all these questions. Why, why are they leaving? And, how do they not know it's Jesus? And are they that downcast? Are they that discouraged? They're not even looking up. Somebody comes and walks with them. You know, you can almost envision them just doing a, you know, a slight head turn, yeah. noticing there's somebody there, but not even bothering to look up and and, and actually see his face or or really pay attention to who it is because they're so discouraged. And 
then just this whole idea that he just talks about it all with him. He just lays it out for him. Like what? I mean, how amazing would that have been for him to just be, you know, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Like, first of all, how long of a walk was that? And uh, how could they cover all that? And then just to have that moment uh, when their eyes are opened. I love how kind you are about what did he say and how long was that walk and what did it look like? My question is, why was I not there? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I get so frustrated with I want to know what he said and how he said it so that I can teach like these two must have taught. Can you imagine? I mean, spending an afternoon with Jesus like this and then later on, you know, being an elder at a church. Yeah. (laughs) And you're just, someone's going, okay, why are you making that connection to Jesus from the Old Testament? There's no way that that's correlation. Oh, Jesus told me that himself. Yeah. Okay. Then I guess I'll trust that, you know? Yeah. Where do you get that? Uh, From Jesus. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus told me. Jesus, explain that to me. What I love about Luke and this this all fits into what you're saying with your favorite stories. Luke is showing us how, first of all, accessible Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Second of all, how much Jesus cares for the marginalized and the downtrodden, as you as you mentioned. But then also how thorough he is with making sure that we understand what's really going on. And and then the the last part of that that I love, and this this really is so big for us to kind of process and think about. When someone has an interaction with Jesus, they are not the same afterward. So these two in 24, did our hearts not burn within us when he was walking us through the scriptures? They are not the same people then. Zacchaeus, I don't know that Jesus said, I want you to give everything away and, and go back and take care of the people you defrauded. But what Zacchaeus realizes is, I can't be who I was before, and I also feel bad for who I used to be. What do I need to do to make it right? Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things for me that separates true repentance with just a intellectual uh, sense. Yeah, or a momentary, uh, you know, rep- I, I wouldn't even use the word repentance there. I'd say maybe a, a momentary asking for forgiveness, right? You just, sorry, and you move on. But I, I think one of the things that Jesus does for us is when we get closer to him, we realize, no, I've really made a mess of this. I'm going to come back and I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to I'm going to go above and beyond to make sure that I've made this right. And that's something that's unique and we don't see that today with Christianity as much as maybe we should. Yeah, it, it, certainly that those encounters with Jesus where the heart is is open mm-hmm. and um yeah, how do you stay the same? You, you can't. You you You've had that Emmaus moment. You've had that moment where <laughs> you came back and said thank you, and he's going, "Where, where are the other ones?" You know. Yeah. You know. Um, and, and I think it's a good reminder that we can even ask our in our own hearts and lives, well, "Why am I different?" Because I've encountered Jesus, and you know, sometimes it's. It's sad when we can go, you know, there's nothing different since I've encountered Jesus. And maybe maybe you didn't quite grasp this or maybe yeah. you aren't quite understanding. And, right. Um, and that's not to say that you need to have some kind of special thing happen or that's not, we're not even saying that your faith isn't real. But I'm just saying that, and, and this is what you're saying, I think, too, is when you see Jesus, you just know you can't be the same. 
And you'll stop at nothing to sort of move into that realm of being different, whatever that looks like. So as you know, as the show, the chosen has that one fish swimming the opposite direction as the rest of them. That's kind of how I viewed most of my life now that I've seen Jesus and I can't get him out of my head. Yeah. So whereas everybody else around me might be doing stuff and I might join in with them for a moment, there's a moment of conviction coming where I, I back away from it and go, no, I can't be like that anymore. I, I've seen something different. You know, Zacchaeus, I can't rip people off anymore. I can't be that way. Yeah, it's all different now. Yeah. Or the prodigal, how different was he when he got home? You know, like you yeah. just start adding all these stories up, you go, whoa, that's pretty intense. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a good word. Mm-hmm.